0: I can't
1: Thank you, Alvin. Well, we won't go through half the service with this off. That I, I don't want to give Brandon a heart attack back there. He's too young for that. Well, welcome to the service today. Um, I came in, and I thought it might be an empty house, and it looks like we filled up, so I don't know I don't know what that says about, um, about our church, but um, mainly I, I can identify, though. I feel like I struggle to get in here on time with my little guy, so, um, but it's good to see everything, everybody full. So today we are going to be looking at an entire book of the Bible. It looks like you all left me a lot of time, so I'm excited to fill that all up, um, <laughs> Somewhat um, jokingly, I say that because we are going to be looking at the book of Jude. So we have a lot to cover, but not quite like looking at um, one of the larger books. So one of the reasons that I chose to look at this is I find the book of Jude is a book that I read, and I quickly read it. And... You know, it it kind of makes sense, it kind of doesn't, but you kind of feel like there's a lot of information here that you're just kind of reading to read, but don't really understand what's happening, the why behind it, and that is for good reason, and it's because it's a letter that was written to a church, and we don't know what church it was written to. But we do know a couple interesting things about the the church, and that is the one that is the most important is that it is a strongly Jewish congregation. And one of the things to realize about that is that being a strongly Jewish congregation, they're very familiar with the Old Testament. But there's another part of this that we may not be (laughs) and that I quite honestly wasn't as familiar with is that in the Jewish tradition, there were all these other books that, and also oral traditions, that would have been passed down, that they also would have been familiar with. And so there would have been context there that they would have had that we may not have. So... Part of what I hope to do today is to unpack some of that context behind um, the passage and help us understand better what they were referring to. And then also just kind of understand um, going through the passage and grabbing what what this author, what Jude is trying to, um, to address. So, a few kind of additional background pieces of information. We're always, I find it good to know who the author is. So, in um, the book of Jude is fairly undisputably going to be written by Jude or Judas, and this would be the brother of Jesus. So, if we go to Matthew 13, 55... Um, we have just the reference of, is this not the carpenter's son? Is it not is not his mother called Mary, or are not his brothers' James? Jose, or I think yeah, and Simon and Judas, which also would have been interpreted Jude. So we're making the assumption again, but fairly backed up assumption because of, in the first verse, it says, bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So we're having, you know, um, he's identifying himself as a follower of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So, And then I also want to think a little bit about his character. Um, and we'll see this kind of come up throughout the book. But if you look at how he identifies himself, rather than taking glory or honor from being related to Jesus, he identifies himself as a bondservant or a servant or follower of Jesus. And then he further identifies, like, you know, more than that, as a brother to James. So I just thought it was interesting, and also, you know, we get that tone right off the bat. There's not like, oh, I'm related to Jesus. There's, he's not gaining or position from that. He's coming at it from a point of humility, which I thought was just challenging, especially as we go in and look at some of the really sad things that he's having to identify. So secondly, we want to think about who was this letter written to? Um, First off, we said, it. I mean, it was written to a specific church. So, um, because he's addressing a problem and it's very clearly being written to some uh, specific church. But I also want to point out, it was written to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so, ultimately, this applies to all of us who can claim that. And I think it's so important when we're reading scriptures, especially these letters, that we claim these commandments, these scriptures personally, rather than just, oh, therefore, you know, a group or a time or a place. So, you know, these are things that are applicable to us today, as well as were directly written to um, a group of people. So before we go any further, I would like to read the first four verses. And we're going to go through and read this in kind of chunks, um, kind of so we can digest it. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved while I very diligently write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pause there. So what is the essence or, you know, behind this letter? And unlike some of the letters that we have written in, you know, previous parts of the um, the New Testament, that I think as you read this, you realize that, the, these letters circulated around, Paul's letters potentially were letters that um, different people in the Christ, early church were familiar with, and, but unlike those where he's addressing an actual problem among believers, so sin happening among believers, Jude is addressing unbelievers in the church or ungodly. So this is not him, and then is talk is calling out to those who are in the church how they should respond to ungodly in the church. And unlike some of the past um, letters that have had, you know, there's, shall we say, bad behavior or ungodly actions happening in the church, it's very clear that this is addressing ungodly people in the church. So a little bit, it's good to kind of realize that as we read it, um, you know, two different scenarios still, but also addressing similar problems that we see Paul address in um, letters earlier in the New Testament. And so he's calling that out, calling the ungodly out, but then to the believers, He's calling them to a holy life. And as we think about that holy life, I just want to start with that calling to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father. I'll just add that Father, um, the God is actually something that's added in there. If you look, it should be italicized in many of your Bibles. Um, So it's just sanctified, called by God, or sorry, called by the Father and preserved through in Jesus Christ. And I want to unpack that phrase because it's so important to think about what that's saying. And one of the things that we have to kind of deal with with our translations today is that sometimes the way we use words changes over time. And we often, at least I refer to, when I'm thinking about salvation, I talk about we're justified and then we're sanctified. Sanctifying is that ongoing process of purifying, becoming more and more like God. And in this case, if you dig into this word sanctified here, It could also be interpreted in this case as saved or redeemed. So we're saved or redeemed by the Father. And then we are preserved, and preserved has the idea of kept. And in this usage, it has more of that idea of the way we would often use that word sanctified, but kind of moved down. So, but it's important to realize that Jude is calling and is saying those who are saved are also being preserved or kept in Jesus Christ. And so there's that ongoing, it changes the way they act. And at its core, that is what's being addressed in this letter, that there's a group of people who are ungodly who have used... um, the idea of grace, and rather than having God's salvation and the um, being kept in Christ purify and sanctify us, they're saying, it's a free-for-all. We can behave any way we want. And Jude is calling that out and saying, those are ungodly people. They are not of God. So that is kind of the essence of what we're going to look at in this passage. And then as we move down, I also think it's just important, I love this, um, you know, verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And again, one of these little indicators that we are looking at a very... Jewish centered Jewish tradition church, and if you go back into Numbers, I just just a reminder for where this comes from because we see it recur a lot throughout the New Testament as a greeting, but this comes from Numbers and Numbers 23. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel, Say to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall you put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And so, again, that's simply you know, this, this blessing and greeting that is coming you know, coming out. So that's, I I just, I like to kind of know the background of that, but also one of those indicators of where where it's coming from. And then finally, one other thing that I think is just fascinating to me about this is, Jude had been preparing a different message. And he had been working on it, and we see in verse 3, he had, um, there something came up that he found out, hey, this is a topic that needed to be addressed. And so, again, we see Jude's character of someone who is, you know, not out about his agenda. Oh, I was working on this document. I'm going to send this document. But rather being willing to be used by Christ and address the issue that was at hand. So he says... He was preparing um, to have write them a letter on the topic of salvation through Jesus Christ. but then he felt led that he needed to send this letter um, and you can entitle this letter contend for the faith because of corrupt teachers And so he's used of him of, used of God and sends the letter that is needed and so that's what we're left. With 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 this passage. So, as we think about as we think about the next part of this, um, I just want to start with reading. You know what Jude is actually addressing. So I read. I already read verse four, but um, I'm going to read it again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny only the Lord, and deny only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there were, as I talked about before, there are obviously individuals who were ungodly and were outside of God's will, and they were using the doctrine of grace to justify their wrong behavior, and we get a glimpse in this first verse on, you know, what that wrong behavior was. We hear, you know, they use the word lewdness, but then the next section of verses compares this behavior to examples in the Old Testament. And as we talked about earlier, these examples are where I kind of get lost in this passage because I'm not Jewish. I don't know all these background stories that they did. But so as we go forward, we want to get a glimpse into what Jude was referring to by these comparisons that he goes through. So, We'll pick up and read um, verses 5 through 10. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah the cities and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire likewise also these dreamers defiled the flesh rejecting authority and speak evil of dignitaries yet michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him reviling accusations, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." We're going to stop there. Um, so what are these stories that are being referred to? And we're going to quickly go through them. They're not really happy stories at all. So the first story we are going to think about is Israel um, in the wilderness and rebellion, and we're all very familiar with, um, you know, the story of, you know, them not wanting to go to, or, you know, the spies and all that stuff, and we actually talked about that several, a month or so ago, and one of the things in that discussion that when we we're going through the Old Testament and looking at some of those stories that came out was that not only were, you know, was Israel, you know, not wanting to trust God, but there was a deeper problem of them wanting the evil things that they were partaking of in Egypt and saying, we want to go back and participate in idol worship, immorality, all these things and God and they didn't want to be a part of God's calling. And so, you know, not only do you have the rebellion, but you also have this underlying thought of really bad behavior and things that are ungodly. So, I think that one, you know, we all pretty much are aware of. The next 3 Are interesting because they're very um, focused on angels, and and these are where that Jewish tradition would come into play a lot more heavily, and you would see that reflection of they would understand and be processing this. But in verse 6, it says, um, the angels who did not keep their proper domain... And this is referring to, um, and it's referenced very briefly in the Old Testament, but Jewish tradition would, would, would carry that story through that angels rebelled up against heaven or God, came down and intermarried with men. And so this was outside of God's order. It has to, you know, thinking about like just immoral Things that are completely outside of God's ordained um, plan. And it's saying they're going to be judged um, for that. And then the men of Sodom. So again, you're referencing and comparing these people in the church to the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't think this is figuratively. I think there was incredibly... Awful and immoral stuff happening and being justified by grace, and that Jude was calling out in this passage. So, and again, um, referring to those in unnatural things, we have references of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah um, intermarrying with angels or uh, parts of that in the stories without going down kind of a rabbit trail on that. But again, very, you know, just. Outside of God's order, um, things that are being this is compared to, and then the final one, which is is kind of another one that is very you're like what is this referring to, and there is a in Jewish tradition there is a story of the archangel Michael who was sent to bury the body of Moses and the the tradition or account refers to the devil contending with his right to be able to bury this body, and um, or and so Michael the archangel's response to that was, you know, the Lord rebuke you. And one of the things that's interesting is there's kind of two reads on this. I think they both can apply to this situation, but was the was the archangel Michael saying to the devil, the Lord rebuke you, you know, the Lord will judge you for this action, or was he saying, was he turning it over to the Lord and saying, you know, the Lord will judge whether, Mike, um, whether Moses, you know, and let it, turning that over to, um, to God rather than, um, you know, arguing or contending with the devil? Again, but that's the background to this story, um, situations where, you know, completely outside of God's ordained order. Verse 10, then, goes on to kind kind of put a bow on this section and says, but these speak evil, whatever they do, not knowing, whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, is the things that they corrupt themselves. And I'm struck here with this comparison to, you know, animals. And, you know, we look at nature often for the way things should be. But I also think we sometimes forget that we are called to something even higher than that. And that we have, you know, God has standards and also... A right way to do it, and I wanted to just kind of. A lot of these stories have kind of been um, that you know very, very carnal, and you know it's hard to relate to. But thinking about comparing this behavior that was happening to brute beast, recently I have been doing a lot of research on getting some pigs. So. We are working on um, getting our um, pasture fenced in, getting all ready for this. And as you study pigs, they're fascinating animals. They will eat you out of house and home. um, And they also will simply respond to all of their base desires in a really disgusting visceral way. And so one of the things you have to be really careful with is if you have a mama pig and she has babies, you have to make sure that that mama pig has all of her material needs met. So she needs to have all of her vitamins, all of her minerals, and she needs to be well-fed, well-nourished before she has the baby pigs. Now, I thought, well, the reason why is you need a healthy mama pig. No, that is not the reason why. The reason why is if you don't, she will turn and eat her baby pigs to satisfy those base needs that she has. And we think about that and we're like, that's horrifying, that's awful. But Jude is comparing The actions of and the way that people, ungodly people in the church were behaving to brute beast. And this, you know, obviously goes further than just, you know, it it goes to sexual desires, all these things that were happening. But if we think about it, that's the visceral, awful stuff that was happening. And They were saying God's grace covers this, but in verse 11, he goes on and says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedy in error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast in you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead pulled up by the roots, raging waves of sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom in reserve the blackness and darkness forever. We're going to stop there and just briefly think about in verse 11, the three, let me get caught up in my notes. Um, there's three comparisons that he uses, again, from the Old Testament, but also, you know, probably more rounded out for this Jewish group of people. They really would have identified with these stories. But part of all three of those examples, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through each of them, but they all are individuals who directly defied God, were judged for it, and led others astray. And so, what he is drawing out here is that by having these people in our midst, there's the potential for being led astray. And in verse 12, he says, these are spots in your love feast. The word spots is often translated reefs, I think, in the old test, or in the um, King James. And it has the idea of rocks or like literally reefs that your ship, you know, if you're sailing, you have a hidden reef down below and you strike that, um, you strike that reef and it destroys the whole ship. So again, the warning here is that by having these people in our midst, the danger is that they they sink the ship. So, and that word I should, in full disclosure, I should say that word "spots" is only used one time that exact Greek word in the Old Testament. So there's a lot of question on how it is actually translated, but the most accurate is rocks or reefs. So it um, has that idea of That blemish to the whole, or that ability to ruin or ground the whole ship if they're not dealt with. Moving on to verse 14 through 17. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 saints to execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them, all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage, but you, beloved, remembering Remember the words which were spoken before, the apostles, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there. Um, Three things that I want to pull out of this little section. First is, again, we see here the reference to Enoch, which is both referencing um, Enoch in the Old Testament, but also... Those writings of Enoch that the Jewish people would have been very familiar with. And then secondly, um, judgment that Jesus is going to judge, talking about the um, execute judgment with to all the ungodly. And again, both equating the ungodly and the ungodly deeds. So at some point, we are the, the deeds that we do identify us as the ungodly. So those are paired together in this passage. Um, And then finally, in this group, who are these people? And this is where we get a glimpse into the the idea that these were people who had position um, in their church. And I think that's the scariest and the saddest thing, that oftentimes, there are ungodly people who use words and flattery and position to justify what they're doing. Um, And again, just the, you know, actually wrong, awful things are being justified by, you know, by this thought of grace covers it all. And then finally, rolling into the idea of, What are we to um, rest in? And 17 kind of gives us that, you know, moving into that idea, but you, beloved, remembering the words which were spoken before by the Apostle, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 18 and 19 um, are going to be identifying the way that we should act, so I'll, I'm just going to read um, 18 through 23. How they told you that they were would be mockers in the last time according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. And again, just how do we identify who these people are? And it's by the way they act. And then 20 but you, beloved, so calling out now, we're moving away from identifying those in our midst, now moving on to the people who he's actually writing to and giving and ending with the inspiration of building themselves. So, but you, my beloved, building yourselves on the most high, holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments of def- even the garments defiled by flesh. I'm just going to pause there um, and I just want to draw our you know attention to the fact that this is not writing off all sinners and saying, if you've sinned, you are, you know, outside and you are ungodly. And, but if it's sin that's unreplanted for, it will be dealt with. And we as Christians should pray, um, you know, for that mercy, but also we need to be willing to contend for that fate, for, um, for that, you know, um, the purity of the church. And I'm going to close with reading the last two verses, but the one thing that I just I keep coming back to as I read these passages, I'm just struck by the fact that we are saved and we have grace that covers our sins. But that is not an excuse or an out for striving to become more and more like Christ. And so that, we're changed and out of that changed heart, it's going to affect every aspect of our lives. And so to say that, you know, God's grace covers sin, it does, but as Christians, we are not going to be living in sin. Rather, we are going to, out of love for what God has done for us, change how we live our lives. And that's just something, it's a theme of the Old Testament that I'm excited about. I'm excited to realize that I don't have to live in fear or any of that, but I can live in the freedom to pursue Christ and have him change the way I act in every part of my life, and live to be more and more like him. And I'm going to close with probably two of the most um, read verses, most recited verses. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present your fault, you faultless before the presence of his glory with excellen- exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. It's my prayer for how all of you can live your life this week and throughout the year. You are dismissed.